Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. What we are talking about today is wisdom. We are continuing in our series on wisdom, and we're starting in Proverbs 4 and verse 7. Starting in Proverbs 4 and verse 7, which has been our core scripture for the last few weeks, will be the core scripture for the next several weeks, and I hope will be a core scripture for your life. It says the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Some of the translations say, though it costs you everything, get understanding. Though it costs you all you have, make sure that you have in your life wisdom and understanding. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are in this room. We thank you that you are with us, and we thank you that you are a God who is everywhere that we go outside of here. I ask you to fill us with a spirit of wisdom, God, to accelerate our process, to increase our wisdom and our capacity beyond our days and our moments and our years, God, and to give us the wisdom for heaven, from heaven. Give us a heart for it. God, I thank you for the word that you've spoken for me to, to me today for us, and I believe that it is going to strengthen us and grow us and prepare us for the days ahead. Thank you for your word, God. Amen. One of the things that really annoys me in life that I don't really understand, annoys is maybe a strong word, but one of the things that I really don't understand in life is this like um, like knockoff gear of high-end stuff. I don't get it. I don't really, it's not a sin if you're into it and you're like, oh, snap, this is the part where Pastor Meredith comes for me. Not really, you're allowed to have it. I just don't really understand it. I don't understand why you would want to have something that looks like it's something that it's not. I don't really get why people go out and take, I don't understand why people make it. I mean, I get that they make it because somebody's going to buy it. But at the end of like, who's sitting around going, I'm a designer and you know what I want to design? You know what I want to do with my creativity is I want to take someone else's creativity and then I want to make a version of that creativity except for I want to make it worse and I want to make it cheaper and then I want to sell it to people. That's what I wanted. I don't understand it, but I have been around it. I hope you're ready for stories today. kind of forgot I was telling this story when I told the other one, but that's all right. So... I worked for a while in a job where I would go to New York every so often, and I got to go there with other women. I was in my, like, early 20s, and I would get to go with other women, and we would get to hang out as part of our work. We had some downtime in New York, and we'd get to go shopping and see shows. It was a really cool, great college job that I got to have. And on one of these college jobs, or one of these overtimes, I was with some other young women who thought that it was a good idea. They wanted to look like they had money that they didn't have. And so they found out that there are places you can go in New York that are not advertised in the general public, but someone can take you there. And in that place, they have like really good versions of knockoffs and they can take you to that place. And it's a little bit unseemly. And I um, went to some of these places with some of my friends. 
The statute of limitation, I double-checked it this week, has passed on all of these. And I will tell you, I did not purchase anything while I was there. I was there with my friend. Okay, I know. Don't give me that. Like, it's like the worst excuse ever. It's not mine. It's my friend's. It wasn't for me. I was just carrying it. And as I'm walking down an aisle, downstairs, into a basement with my friends for something that I'm wondering. I know, I don't think Phil's ever heard this story either. <laughs> and my parents aren't here. No one tell them. I'm like 30-some years old and they still don't know about this, okay? Into this basement to look at all of these racks where they like pull back curtains. And I am thinking to myself, how did I get here? This is no good because the thought occurs to me that if the police show up today, they are not going to buy my story of, I wasn't here for me though. I just came with my friends because they wanted to go through all of this effort as I wandered around looking at knockoff sunglasses and knockoff bags and knockoff shoes. I did not even know all of the things that you can get counterfeit versions of. And I was just looking because I was not there to purchase anything. I figure you either have the money to buy the real thing or you don't. And there's no sense in pretending that you're somewhere in between. Again, it's not this part of hiding in this place is a sin. But the middle part is not a sin. It's just your preference. My preference is that it doesn't make any sense to me. But as I'm standing there wondering, looking, pondering all of the things around me, the thought occurs to me me that in some space and to some extent or another, all of us want to be able to purchase something and have something that we didn't pay the price for. And there's something about having something that didn't cost you what it really is worth that is appealing to all of us. There's something about how much something costs that is a deterrent for those who don't really see its value. There's something about a desire for a counterfeit that allows me to feel like I have it without having paid the cost for it. Wisdom should cost you something. Wisdom should cost you, though it cost you all you have, you should go after wisdom. But there's a desire in each and every one of us to want to have something that we never really paid for, to get something that we never really invested in, to go after something that didn't cost us anything. I want to go after the thing that I haven't spent my life for, and I want to go after the thing that I haven't invested my whole person in, and I want to be able to go after something and say that I've had something that at the end of the day I didn't pay what it was worth for it. There's something, but the question is, what did it cost you? Did it cost you anything to get here? And did it cost you anything to earn that? And did it cost you anything for the thing that you're espousing to know about? As I've gotten older and the more days that I have, the question I want to ask before people espouse information and before people tell me how they have facts on something or insight or opinions on something, the question I have is, but what did it cost you? 
Because if it didn't cost you anything, I don't know that it's worth anything to me. If it didn't cost you anything, I'm not actually sure how valuable it is. If it didn't cost you anything, I have to ask myself, is it really the real thing? If you got it without costing anything, how do I know it's not a counterfeit? And what's worse than that is that we want to have the counterfeit version and we want everyone else to pretend like it's the real thing. I don't do well if you want me to pretend like your fake thing is a real thing. I don't do well if you're presenting me a counterfeit version of your life and you want me to accept that version of your life like it's a true reality. I don't do well when fake things are presented to me and I have to play along like this is a real thing. When we can all see that that is not a real thing, that is a counterfeit version of the reality. And that is a substandard version of the real thing. And that is a substandard, didn't cost you anything version of the real thing. And I don't do so well. Have you ever seen those people who have like those babies that you get from school that are like the little like fake babies and then you take them around and they cry and you have to feed them and then they like you have to change them and they'll wake up. I don't do well with those things because they're not real. And I know that they're designed to teach you a lesson and to bring you on the path. But at the end of the day, that thing is not real. And when I am in an environment and that baby starts crying and it just keeps going over and over and we're all supposed to pretend like it's a real baby and be like, oh, do you need help? Or we're all supposed to respond to you like this is a real situation and be like, do you want me to rock it for you? I can't come along with it because it's not real. It's pretend. If you have a real baby that starts crying, I have empathy for you. If you have a baby that is losing it on an airplane, I feel for you. It is a mess to be in a situation with it. If you trip along the way because you're really trying to learn something, I feel for you. If you stumble because you're really trying to gain some information, I feel for that. If you have trouble in your gaining and in your learning and in your understanding because you're trying to achieve, I have an empathy and an understanding. But when it hasn't cost you anything and you want me to pretend like your fake thing is a real thing, I don't have a lot of space for that because I don't do well pretending that baby didn't cost you anything. You didn't grow it and you didn't labor with it and you didn't ache and you didn't have pains and you didn't have suffering and you didn't go through labor and through delivery with it and know what it is to feel like you're at the edge and the end of yourself and you didn't have to learn how to feed it and you didn't have to purchase pampers for it and you're not sitting up in the middle of the night wondering if that fake baby is going to get into the right elementary school or what's going to be happening when they walk through the doors of their school, or what college they're going to go to, and how I'm going to pay. You don't have the internal load of what it is to have a child when you're carrying around that fake baby, and I don't have, and I can't get along with the pretend thing like it's the real thing, and you want me to come along on your pretend journey like you've grown in wisdom and like you've grown in understanding. You want me to come along with you like it's cost you something, and it hasn't cost you anything it's pretend. It hasn't cost you anything. It's just a fake version because we want to take a counterfeit version of something and present it to the world and say, it didn't cost me anything, but can you play along with my game with me? And can you play? It must cost you something. And we want to purchase things that we haven't paid for. And we want to own things that we don't want to put up the funds for. And we don't want to give our lives to things. We just want to have it on the outside. Everybody wants an anointing. 
But nobody wants to pay the cost for it. Nobody wants to pay the price. You want to be anointed to teach that classroom. Are you willing to pay the price? Oh, I know you want an anointing for your kids, and I know you want an anointing for that classroom, but are you willing to not gossip in the lounge with everyone else? Are you willing to show up early and to pray over the space? Are you willing to stay late and to meet with people to do the extra that goes along the way? Are you willing to lay down your ego and say, not the way I want to do it and not the style I want to do it, God, but the way that you need me to do it? Are you willing to pay the cost for something? Because we want to have the anointing and we want to have the wisdom and we want to have the big, shiny, flashy thing, but we don't always want to pay the cost for it. You don't always want to pay what it takes to pay for something, to give our lives to something. It will cost you everything to go after this thing. It will cost you everything. You can't show up doing the bare minimum and make us pretend like you have gone above and beyond. It's going to cost you something. You want wisdom, it's going to cost you something. You want uh, understanding, it's going to cost you something. You want an anointing for that place God has called you, it's going to cost you something. And too often we don't want to pay for it, but we want the reward of it. And so we show up doing the bare minimum and ask God to anoint it and ask God to bless it and ask others to admire it and ask others to show up for it and ask others to praise us and to to reward us for it, but doing the bare minimum has not cost you what this thing cost. It's going to cost you something to go after another level of your life. It's going to cost you learning when other people are going to bed, and it's going to cost you showing up when other people have gone home, and it's going to cost you running after something with all of your heart and with all of your passion. But if you just want to live at a base level, don't ask me to pretend to show up and pretend like you are living at a level and at an intensity that you are not living your life because the thing that you are putting out is a counterfeit version of the thing that you're wanting me to applaud. It will cost you something. And Proverbs said, though it cost you everything, it's worth going after wisdom. Though it cost you everything. The trouble with some counterfeits is that they are so good that it's tough to tell what's real and what's fake. It's tough to tell sometimes what's cost someone and what hasn't cost someone. In the early days of exploration in the Americas, in North America, what we now call North America and South America, the explorers were hungry and were searching for gold and for gems. And there were rumors abound that the land was basically just laying and you could run around and pick up gold all over the place and take it back, that riches and wealth were to be found everywhere. And so hungry explorers came to find this, what they called New World, where they would be able to tap into wealth and they were looking for something. And among them was Captain Christopher Newport. Christopher, Captain Christopher Newport landed on the east coast of what's now the United States of America and found an area where there was dirt that sparkled and glimmered with gold flecks all around it. 
And he was convinced that it was gold just available for the purchasing and that if this was what was on the surface, there must be even more underneath it. And despite the fact that others around him said, I'm not sure this is everything that you think it is, he hauled loads and loads of this dirt gold back with him. He went and would pick up truck not truckloads because they didn't have trucks, but, you know, truckloads worth of gold from the, uh, from the area he'd found it and taken it back. He believed in it so much that he purchased it from the first people who lived in the region where he had found it. And he would go to them and he would make trades of real goods like things like food and furs and tools and supplies that they would need for the winter. He would trade them all of these things so that he could dig up this dirt and take it back with him to the number of somewhere around 1,100 pounds of this gold flickered dirt that he hauled back from the East Coast all the way to England because he was convinced that what he had found was gold. And I imagine you can tell where this story is going, that he got all the way back to England and those who know what they're looking at studied what he had brought back and let him know that it was nothing more than fool's gold, nothing more than a mineral that presents itself like gold. Captain Newport was willing to pay the cost. Captain Newport was willing to pay what it would cost him and what it was worth to get the gold in his life. But at the end of the day, sometimes there are things that sparkle that are not what they seem. At the end of the day, there are things in our life that glimmer in our life that are not what they present to be. And it's difficult sometimes to tell, am I looking at real gold or am I looking at fool's gold? It's tricky sometimes to tell, am I looking at wisdom or am I looking at foolishness? Because I want to spend my life going after wisdom, but in a moment and in a time where everything is parading around like it's wisdom and everything is parading around like understanding, sometimes it's difficult to dissect and it's difficult to understand what of this is real and what of this is counterfeit. What of this is telling me the truth and what of this is just fake. I don't want to waste my life going after fake things and I don't want to waste my life going after something that's not real and I don't want to waste my life pouring it. God, I need real wisdom for this moment and I'm willing to pay the cost and I'm willing to go after it. But sometimes there are things that present themselves in my life and they sound like wisdom and I walked down that path. But after I walked that path for a while, I got to the end of that road and found out that the road that I had spent my life on and that I had spent my earnings on and that I had spent my energy on at the end of it was foolishness and I thought that I was walking in the path of wisdom how is it that we know and how is it that we discern and how is it that we can look and we can say this is gold and this is not because I don't want to waste my life on a fool's errand I don't want to spend my earnings on fool's gold God Proverbs 14 uh, says this. You read it this last week. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. There is a way that seems right. This tells me that there are ways that seem like wisdom. 
There are ways that are parading around like they are the path to wisdom. And there are things that will present themselves in your life like this is the path to life. And this is the path to success. And this is the path to health. And only to get on that road and find out that this is not what it paraded itself to be. It presented itself to me like wisdom, but it showed up like foolishness. It showed me that it was wise in the beginning, but the longer I walked in this direction, the more I found out this is not everything that I thought that it was going to be. At the front of the doorway to my basement, to my stairs, behind my curtain, I thought this was just another street vendor. But by the time I got all the way down in there, in there, I realized this path is not everything that it seemed that it was at the beginning, but now I'm so far down this path that I can can't easily get back out of here. Now I'm so far in this journey that I'm looking around going, this is not where I thought that I was going. I'm so deep down the road that now I'm wondering how do I even begin to untangle and to backtrack my way out of this thing. Every business opportunity that presents itself to you is not the path to wisdom. Everything that promises you that you can gain wealth and that you can increase your earnings is not always wisdom. And listen to me, it doesn't just mean that you'll lose your life savings in it. You might increase your wealth, but still find yourself shackled to foolishness. You might walk down a path and say, man, I have increased my net worth, but at the end of this day, I have shackled myself to people who do unscrupulous business. I have shackled myself to a standard of living that I can't maintain and I don't know how to get out of and it's costing me my family and it's costing me my mental health and it's costing me my future and it's costing me my physical health and it's costing me my sleep at night and it looked like it was the path to wisdom when I got on it but I started walking down this path and all of a sudden I realized that I had shackled myself to foolishness instead of walking myself in to wisdom. How do we begin to discern the path of wisdom from the path of foolishness? How do I know if this is real or if this is counterfeit? And when Solomon begins to write to his son and say, I want to impart to you the wisdom that I have learned. I want to teach you the things that I have gained. I want to speed up your path so it doesn't take you your life to learn what I have learned. I want to give that to you up front so that you can grow in your wisdom and grow in your understanding. He knew that there is this temptation that folly and foolishness sometimes presents itself like wisdom. And there are moments when it's tricky to tell the two from each other. And he wrote down Proverbs 9. And Proverbs 9 is an interesting passage of scripture because it is written in a poetic form that gives us the picture of these two women. And one is wisdom and one is foolishness. And he writes them out and then it's structured in an interesting way where there are three different segments in Proverbs 9. The first one tells us all about this banquet prepared by wisdom. And then there's an intermediate section where it begins to back and forth and compare the two of wisdom and of foolishness. 
foolishness. And then it goes in and it describes for us the banquet of foolishness. And this is Solomon trying to say to his son, pay attention to what you're looking at because sometimes foolishness will stand and cry out to you and it will sound like wisdom and it will look like wisdom, but pay attention because on the other side of that door is not wisdom, but it's foolishness. We're going to read the whole chapter. So starting in Proverbs 9, if you have it, turn there. We're going to read through it. If not, it's on the screen and it's available for you. It says, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars, and she has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine, and she has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the high places in the town. Wisdom has prepared her place, and she has made it ready. And then she has sent those who serve her out to find those who could come to the banquet. And what they say is, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come and eat of my bread and drink of my wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. It echoes the story of a banquet that Jesus would tell later, of a master who prepared a feast and then went out and didn't just say to those who seem worthy and didn't just say to those who seemed like they deserved to be at the table, but said to the simple and said to those who had been left out and said to those who didn't have another place to go, come and eat at this table. Wisdom has prepared a table and the purpose of her table is to call out to those who don't have a table to sit at and who need to learn and to understand from the wisdom that she has. And she says, come and sit at the table that I have prepared. And then it steps into the second section and it says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Get instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and your years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself, and if you scoff, you alone will bear it. And here comes Folly's banquet. It says, the woman Folly is loud and she is seductive. She knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and she takes a seat in the high places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let them turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in the secret is pleasant. Listen to how closely the call of folly sounds to the the call of wisdom. They are so similar that if you're not prudent and you're not paying attention, you'll think they're the same call. And you'll think it doesn't matter which table you sit at because they sound the same. But he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol, which means the, the place of the pit. It means the, the cavern, the, um, where you bury people and where you go after you die. They are in the depths of Sheol. This is the opposition of wisdom and of folly. This is the picture of the one who prepares a banquet from a wise place and a one who prepares a banquet from foolishness. And one of the things that it's important to look for when we're reading scripture is what's there and what's not there. 
What's not there when we get to wisdom's or to folly's banquet is all of the work that wisdom has put in. If you are looking to find the difference between wisdom and understanding, if you want to know the things that you look for to look for the difference between gold and fool's gold, work is part of the effort of wisdom. Wisdom finds pleasure in her work. Wisdom finds value in her work. Wisdom finds meaning in the effort that it takes to prepare the space. It says that wisdom has built this house. And wisdom took time to go get the meat that she would need and to mix the wine that she would have and to prepare the table that she has for you. There's something about work that is in line with wisdom because wisdom is concerned about the process. But folly wants us to get outcomes without input. Foolishness wants you to have the outcome of something without having to put anything of yourself into it, without having to invest of your life or of your effort of, or of your intrigue or of your mind and your intellect and your talent. It says, all I'm looking for is the outcome of this banquet. But wisdom says, it's a pleasure for me to show up and work. Wisdom says it's a gift for me to show up and work. Wisdom says it's a blessing for me to have a space to work and a place to work and the ability to work. That God has given me hands to do something and a mind to think about something and a body to show up with and the ability to build and the ability to create work. And be careful anytime you see something that is pitching to you an outcome without input because the other side of that door is not wisdom. The other side of that door is death and destruction. It sounds the same as wisdom's call. Wisdom's call to you is come and eat at the table. Wisdom's call to you is that you can have abundance. Wisdom's call to you is that you have the ability to get wealth. Wisdom's call to you is that when you walk in the way of wisdom, increase is yours. But it's going to cost you. You're going to have to put in for it. You're going to have to make the effort. You're going to have to do the thing that it takes. You're going to have to show up with joy and with gladness and reframe your work not as a punishment but as a joy for you to get to come and do some work, to do something useful with your life and to do something meaningful with your life and to cultivate something. And folly's call to you is show up and eat at the table. Increase yourself without putting anything into it. Folly's call to you is come and eat what's been stolen. Come and eat bread that you did not work for and that you did not earn. In fact, come and drink wine that someone else has mixed and someone else has poured and someone else took the time to crush the grapes for and someone else took the time to wait for it to ferment and someone else found just the right mix to blend it all together. Come and drink what someone else has put in the effort for, but the other side of that door does not lead to life. The other side of that door leads to the depths of death and of destruction. We have to reframe in the way of wisdom what it means to work for something. We have accepted the lie of folly that work is part of your punishment for what happened in the garden. And work has nothing to do with the curse. Adam and Eve worked in the garden. God said before everything happened with the snake and the lie and the fruit and the eating and we're naked and we're ashamed and we don't know. And God said, you have to leave the garden. Before all of that, Adam and Eve were in the garden and they were working the garden. 
Go back and read it this week. It says God placed them in the garden and he told them, work this garden. Have dominion over this garden. Make this place fruitful and multiply it through the work of your hand. The curse that they had when they left the garden was that their work would not lead to fruitfulness. That they would work and it would be toilsome. That their work would be hard and that their work, they would work and they would work for things that they could not eat and could not satisfy them. When they were in the garden, the blessing of wisdom is not that you don't have to work anymore. Wisdom stands at her door and she says, I built this house with my own hands. She stands at her door and she says, I went and I slaughtered the meat for this all on my own. And she says, I set out the table and I made sure everything was just right because I care about who's coming and she says I went and I mixed the wine because I was thinking about you and I take joy and I take pride and I take gladness in the fact that I worked this space for myself because I value who you are and because wisdom takes pleasure in the work that she has and folly just sits back in her door says I'd rather chill I'd rather sit back or not worry about it I'd rather Eat bread that somebody else made and drink wine that somebody else made. And it sounds nice. Some of you are like, that don't sound so bad. I wouldn't mind sitting back a little bit and eating something that somebody else made and drinking something that somebody else mixed. But the end of that path is destruction. It's the, the mystery of why we do things like we say, I'm so tired and I'm so lethargic. And the thing that would fix that in your life is to go work out. The thing that would fix that in your life is to go work out, to do the work that leads to life in your body, that leads to the right chemicals being released in your body, to lead to some, these things are not separate. God made your body for work. But we sit at home and we say, I feel so lazy and I feel so tired and I feel so worn out and I don't want to go to work tomorrow and oh, it's such a, a pain in my life. You have a job that you get to do. And you have work that you get to show up for. And you have something meaningful to add to the earth and to add to someone's day. You have work that you get to do with your life. And wisdom says, I take joy in the fact that I have work that I get to do. And it leads to life. I have to move on because I like that one, but we got we to keep going. Wisdom takes time, Right? Anything that promises you that it is a quick fix is the way of folly. Wisdom cares about the process. And wisdom loves correction. And foolishness pulls back from correction. It hates the one who corrects. It hates the place of correction. Wisdom hungers for healthy correction. Wisdom says, oh, I can see that I was out of place, but now there's a better way for me to be. Wisdom says that I have been made better because correction has been brought into my life. Wisdom says I'm grateful that someone took the time to speak to me, to sit me down, to point out to me the ways that I was going wayward and the ways that I was going off. Wisdom is grateful for correction in its life. Wisdom says this is a path that leads me into life and into health. This is a path that leads me into the way of the things of God when correction. And here's the thing as adults, we don't have to respond to correction. As adults, we don't really have to 
be those who uh, respond easily to correction. When you were a child, there was likely and hopefully an adult in your life who in a healthy manner made sure that you responded to correction. Made sure that there, the book of wisdom tells us that those who love their children bring correction and boundaries into their life because it is correction is the way of wisdom that says this is the path that we go on. But as an adult, you don't have to. You get to choose, am I going to live a life of wisdom that responds to correction or am I going to live a life that hates those who correct me? And can I tell you the best way to draw wisdom into your life that leads to correction and that helps you improve and get better is the way that you respond to that correction. I wrote down some notes over the last week of our team. We have an incredible staff who are filled with wisdom. And one of the ways I know that they're filled with wisdom is the way that they respond to correction and to feedback. These are some of the responses I've gotten over the last week. Um, Thank you for exclamation points. This was sent in a text message. I sent a text that said, hey, I need to give you some feedback on the way this and that went. And the response that I got back was, thank you, tons of exclamation points. Next one, I gave feedback on the way that someone was handling a meeting, and they responded to me, thank you, I really appreciate that. Next one, gave feedback, and they said, um, this is, I need you to fix this thing, blah, 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 and they said, I see that, thank you, and I'm going to fix it right now. The hardest way for you to continue to get healthy feedback in your life is to make it hard for the leaders that God has put in your life to give you that feedback. If I know that when I come to give you this feedback, it's going to have to be a 15-minute conversation and you're going to tell me all the reasons that it was that way and now we have to dig into it and now it's going to be a rebuttal and it's going to, to be honest, your leaders in your life are just going to say it's not worth it for me. They're going to go to the people who say, thank you, I see that, I understand, I'm going to go apply it now. The best way for you to draw wisdom into your life is to find leaders and then receive the correction that they bring to you. To receive feedback quickly and easily. If you know that you can go to somebody and say in a short period of time, hey, I want to let you know that the way you're doing this isn't as effective as you think that it is. And if you did it this way, it would be better. And you know that their response is going to be, I got it. I understand. Thank you for letting me know that. Your leaders will come to you time and time again. You will get more feedback than anyone else in your area or your team or your family because of the way that you respond to that feedback. Wisdom loves correction. It's hungry for it. And it says correction makes me better and I'm grateful for people in my life who bring correction. And wisdom loves learning. Wisdom hungers to learn new things. And wisdom hungers to grow in understanding. Wisdom is continually looking for ways to increase the the understanding that they already have and to look into new information and to read something new and to watch something new and to talk to someone who has lived in a different way or in a different space than they have because wisdom loves to learn. Wisdom is hungry for knowledge. Wisdom doesn't get stagnant in life. And wisdom doesn't say, I've reached enough and I've increased enough. It's the the pride and the arrogance that says, well, I'm pretty good at this, so I'm just going to stay this good. I've learned quite a bit already. 
I'm in my 40s now, and so I know quite a bit, and so I'm just not really taking in a lot of new information. But wisdom says there's always more for me to learn. There's always more for me to understand. There's always more for me to go after. One of my favorite things in life is when I talk to people who are in their more senior years of life, people who are retired in their life, and I'm like, hey, what are you up to right now? And they're like, I just signed up for this college course. I'm getting ready to get my master's. I've been wanting to do it for a long time. And I'm like, come on with that wisdom that still has a hunger and a passion to learn something and Say that there is value in my learning. Wisdom goes after learning. And the way to tell the difference between wisdom and foolishness is the other side of those two doors, that wisdom leads to life. And, wisdom, and foolishness leads to death. There is a way that looks the same on the outside, but if you peek underneath that thing, you'll find that one will lead you to life and to health and to wholeness, and the other one will lead you to death and destruction and turmoil and chaos, and we have to be mindful before we sell everything that we have and take boatloads back to the homeland of ships, of whatever, the thing that we've been willing to sell our lives for that we've inspected it thoroughly because there are plenty of people walking around toting hollering out in the city streets and hollering out on your social feeds all week long and pretending to have wisdom but what they have is a counterfeit version it is fool's gold sparkling and shining before you saying come and sit at my table it'll be fast and it'll be quick and it'll be sweet and I didn't pay anything for it and it hasn't cost me a thing and make sure you inspect what you're looking at before you sign up and before you click on and before you sell your life savings and before you cash in on all of it because it's the way of foolishness and at the door of that thing it looks like the same as the door of wisdom but it will lead your life down a path of death and of destruction and you'll get so far in that you realize you don't know how to get your way back out make sure you inspect it before you take it home and and say, what am I looking at? Is the thing that I'm looking at wisdom or is it foolishness? And I told you the scripture was written in three different sections, right? It has a section at the beginning and it has a section in the middle and it has a section at the end. These three different portions. And the book of, sorry, the chapter Proverbs 9 is written in what in scripture is often referred to as a chiasm. It's a pattern of writing scripture that we see often throughout the Old Testament. And the way that it works is that it creates a replicating pattern that moves backwards. It is not a happenstance that the words of wisdom and that the words of folly sound so similar. There are parallel passages that are working backwards in the scripture to draw your attention to the verse that falls right in the middle because the part that the author wants to stand out for you is the passageway that happens right in the middle. And the middle verse in Proverbs 9, the part that the author wants to draw all of your attention to is Proverbs 9, verse 10. Proverbs 9 and verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. 
when Solomon sat down to write for his son this picture of wisdom and folly and to explain to him that sometimes things that seem wise are not in fact wisdom. They are the way of foolishness and that you have to pay attention because there are things that look very similar to one another, but one of them is wisdom and one of them is foolishness. And I want to give you the cheat sheet for what to look for to assess. Is this real gold or is this fool's gold? I need to give you the key so that you know that one of these things will lead you to life and one of these things will lead you to death and destruction. He said, the thing that I want to draw your attention to is right here in the middle, that the way of wisdom is the fear of God. Federal agents, when they're training federal agents, maybe you've heard this antidote, to detect counterfeit bills. They train them to detect counterfeit bills by putting them in a room with real bills. And in this room with real bills, they sit there and they put them there and they go through for weeks on weeks on weeks, studying the real bills. What do they feel like? What's the edge of it? Looking at it in different lights, studying all of the details of it and studying everything about what this real bill is like and how it feels in their hand and what all of the intricate details around the corners and around the edges are. And they study it for week on week on week, they are studying these bills. And then, after they've been there for weeks, maybe months, they slide in a couple counterfeit bills to the stacks. And they walk into the room just like any other day and they sit down and everything is exactly the same as it has been for the other weeks and days and months that they've been here. Except for there's a couple fool's gold pieces scattered in the midst of all of the real. And as it goes through, they don't know why and they're not sure what yet, but they feel that counterfeit. And they say, this one's not it. This one's not the real thing. This one's not, not, this one, this one, I don't know why yet. I can study it and I can find out later. But something about this one feels different than the rest of them. Something about this one doesn't, doesn't feel the same in my hand. Something about this color isn't quite exactly what I've been looking at for the rest of the day. Something about the positioning of this isn't, isn't, it makes me, it's not exactly right. And that's how they begin to learn how to spot counterfeits. The way that you keep an eye out for foolishness in your life is not by looking to study fools. It's by studying the way of wisdom. It's by studying the things of God. It's by sitting in the place of wisdom and saying, I've spent days and I've spent weeks and I've spent months and I've spent my life and it's cost me everything, but I decided to go after wisdom. And I've spent so much time in wisdom and I've spent so much time around wisdom and I've spent so much time in the presence of God that somebody comes along and they say something to me and it sounds like it should be good, but it just hits me wrong. And I don't know why yet and I'm not sure what it is about it and I can spend the next little bit understanding and assessing it, but before I walk through that door, I don't know what it is, but I know wisdom. I don't know if that's foolishness, but I know wisdom and I know that's not wisdom. I haven't studied foolishness, so I'm not always sure when I hear foolishness, but I've studied wisdom and I know when you talk like that, that's not wisdom. 
I don't really know everything about the path of foolishness, but I know a lot about the way that the path of righteousness and the path of wisdom feels under my feet. And when I stepped on that, but that didn't feel right. There's something about that gravel under my feet that's different than the way that this gravel feels under because I've caught, it's cost me something and I've spent my life studying the way of wisdom. And my prayer for us is not that we would get lost searching for fools or looking in foolishness, but that we would value wisdom so much that though it cost us everything, we devote our lives to studying the way of wisdom. Because wisdom is constant and wisdom is steady and wisdom will prove you yesterday and today and tomorrow. Foolishness is new in every season. We've got new foolishness today that we did not have 20 years ago. And we're going to have new foolishness 20 years from now that we don't have today. But the way of wisdom is steady. It will keep you and it will hold you and it will sustain you in all that you do. So my plea to you is to study wisdom. If it costs you everything, go after the way of wisdom. If you're able to stand, I'd love to stand in this room as I pray over you today, believing that we would be a church that seeks wisdom, that hungers after wisdom, and that runs in the paths of wisdom. God, we thank you for your wisdom. Say, God, I thank you for your wisdom. God, I thank you for your insight. And God, I pray over these people today that we would be those who study wisdom. I thank you that you are highlighting to them the way of wisdom and the path of wisdom. I thank you that you are making clear to them, God, the things of wisdom and how to run after wisdom. I speak over our church that there is a spirit of wisdom that is churning on the inside of us and that we would not easily be drawn, God, to fool's gold expectations and to fool's gold that glimmers and shines on our behalf, God, but that we would know your ways, God, that we would know the plans that you have for us and we would know the things that make your heart glad and we would know the paths that lead to righteousness because I speak life over this house and I speak life over these people and I declare over you that the way of wisdom is yours in the name of Jesus. Everybody who's committed a life of pursuing wisdom say amen, amen, amen and amen.